Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. You are inside the Braves booth, and today the Braves booth is in Phoenix, Arizona, here at Chase Field. Happy to have you all with us, alongside Joe Simpson and Jonathan Chadwick. Ben Ingram here with you, and uh, I know we'll hear from JC in a little while, but good to see you, Joe. Good to be here, it's buddy. Been like twelve hours since I've seen you. Oh, I know. It I just, missed you. It's been forever. It, it has been. <laughs> Had a fun night last night, didn't we? You know what? We needed that one pretty bad, and I don't mean it just in terms of the standings. I mean the team needed it from a sense of. Uh, Wow, we don't have to sweat this out. We don't have to grind at bats. We've got a nice cushion, and they won the game going away, and I think everybody had a good time. Uh, the only guy that I don't think got a hit was Dansby, but, boy, he made a couple of great plays, including a heads-up play when uh, Waskari Noah had a little uh, uh, vapor lock yeah. on the throw. But, uh, you know, everybody contributed. Everybody had fun, and we needed one of those. And, and the staff needed it, too. Yeah. I mean, winning two in a row, needed something like that, and really need a good streak. I mean, we're coming up on the final day of the season. We're less than two weeks from the finish line. And as we're recording this, the Braves have a three-game lead with 14 games left to be played, possibly 13. We discussed this last night on the broadcast, whether or not they have to make up that game with the Rockies or not. But still three games left in Arizona. And this is a team that, uh, in Arizona, they've got some nice pieces. They're big leaguers. No disrespect to those guys, but you're supposed to do – for four games, in my opinion, what you did last night. You yeah. hope that that's the case for the next three. Yeah, I don't know that they'll be that easy, but you hope they will be. And it's like Brian Snicker said to us on this Brian Snicker report yesterday, it's hard to win a major league game. Uh, I don't care what the record is or what it says about the Diamondbacks. These are uh, major league players for some reason. Right. They're here for a reason. And um, Luke Weaver is going to pitch tonight for them. He's not going to go out there to lay down and lay some pitches in there for the Braves. They're going to have to earn it. So uh, you got to take care of business. You got to win again tonight. And it's going to be interesting because the Braves are going to use multiple pitchers this evening. Found a fun nugget today. These two pitchers tonight, same birthday, 10 years apart to the day. No kidding. Both of them August 21st. Is that right? That was pretty cool. That is. So uh, that'll be our our pitching matchup tonight. And you know, after Jesse, there'll be lots of guys on hand with with smiley and and uh, tucson and others but um looking at the next three and then san diego i think by the time we record our next podcast we will have gotten through this trip altogether. so 
I don't want to look past the Diamondbacks in these next three ball games. But what's coming up in San Diego is really interesting because if you had finished that game that you're going to finish the first day we get there, the last two and a half innings of that game, might have lost that day. Things yeah. weren't going all that well. Right. I look at where the team is now and think to myself, and where the Padres are as well, think to myself, you got a shot to overcome a one-run deficit with nine outs left to play with. Sure. You're the home team, too, so uh-huh. you're going to get that last at bat. And uh, it's a different team, you know. Rosario wasn't here. Duvall wasn't here when that game was being played. Um, so on and so forth. It, it's, a, it's a ball club that looks a lot different than it did when San Diego was in Atlanta two ball clubs that look very different yeah. this Padres storyline is is wild I mean they were 17 games over 500 on August the 10th they were in first place June 1st and now I believe they're three two or two games over 500 maybe two or three and and the Cardinals I mean this this thing has gotten wild it's it's the season's so bizarre because you'll see things in a certain way for four or five months and then they can change like that, and that's what we've seen here at the tail end here in the National League. The good thing for the Cardinals is that they got healthy. Uh, they, they're still missing a couple of really important uh, pitchers, and one of them in particular, Jack Flaherty, that we know so well uh, from playoff times. But, yes, the Cardinals have made up a ton of ground. They're now 11 games over five hundred with their nine-game winning streak. To go back to the Padres, they're three games over five they They've lost eight out of ten and three in a row. But to your point about how things can change, it is a 162-game grind. Uh, you don't make up a poor start in one day. You have to start playing better baseball. You have to remain healthy and just start winning series like we talk about all the time. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you've fought your way back into it, and that's what St. Louis has done. Yeah, and it's been funny, too, because it's almost like, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm reconditioning myself to 162 after not doing it for two years. Mm-hmm. So the way that things are shifting so late in the season, it's like, oh yeah, this is how this thing normally works out because I played just 60 last year and it's such a long year and you have so much time to overcome any kind of efficiencies that you might have in the first three, four, five months of the season. For the Braves and bringing it back to this ball club, Obviously, the, the task at hand is winning the division, and you currently have a three-game lead with 14 games left to be played, have the rest of this road trip with the Diamondbacks and the Padres, then go home and see the Phillies. Phillies were shut out last night by the Orioles, and I keep going back to something that you said back in August. When this team was winning nine in a row and building the lead up to, what, five and a half games, I believe it was, right? you looked at the schedule and, and, and thought, okay, now let's not get too crazy because it's going to switch. The Braves are going to see a really tough stretch, and the Phillies are going to see a bunch of last-place teams, and it's going to be tight, and lo and behold, here we are. Well, here's the way I look at this with regard to the division and uh, a potential wild-card spot, let's say. Uh, Think of a car race. Right now, it is a two-car race. Right. It it is the Braves and the Phillies for the division. You want to start taking, well, we can always fall back maybe and and still get a wild-card spot. Well, there's four or five teams in the right. wild card race all of a sudden the track gets real crowded with cars when you're trying to think about a wild card win so concentrate on the division concentrate on on beating the phillies and hoping you get some help from some other ball clubs there as they did last night from the orioles and and, and the way i look at that is that baltimore did everybody did the braves a favor by winning last night doesn't matter what they do the next two nights right uh, they needed to win one to help the braves and they did yeah it's a good point so with 14 games left 
I'd like to say that there's a long list of things this team can do in order to say that if they do this, they'll win the division. But I feel like I'm boiling it down to one thing, and it's home runs. Because we saw two home runs last night. We did see them pick up the pace with runners in scoring position last night. And you can, you can scream till you're blue in the face about saying, this team needs to do better with runners in scoring position. And that might be the case. But 150 games into the season, this is who you are. And, I, and, and I'd love to see them come through with a bunch of two-out doubles and, and manufacture runs. But I feel like more times than not, it's going to be the home run ball more than anything that leads this team. And therefore, in my opinion, you tell me if I'm wrong, if, if this team can go hit home runs in the final 14 games, they win this division. I don't argue that at all. I, and what, what I liked the most about last night, certainly the, the two home runs and the colossal shot that Duvall hit, but uh, the extra base hits. Yeah. My goodness, they had a bunch of them. Tons of doubles last night. Austin Riley had three of them. Uh, if you're hitting the ball hard, uh, the chances are you're going to drive in runs. And that stat that I gave you at some point last night where there were 20 balls that were hit 95 miles an hour or harder combined between both teams, but most of them by the Braves, and there were like 10 of them over 100 miles an hour. Right. They were They were squaring up a lot of pitches last night. So I liked what they were doing. They were hitting the ball hard. It was finding some gaps. A couple of them found the seats. But just keep swinging the bat well and cut down on the strikeouts. Things will be fine. And part of that was the lineup change. So they're yeah. batting leadoff last yeah. night and again tonight. This might be what they do the rest of the way. It might be. It might very well be. And you won't hear Ozzie Albies complain at all. As uh, I talked about last night, I rode on the bus with Ozzie coming over yesterday. And his comments to me were very team-oriented. He said, you know, I'd prefer to bat third or fourth or fifth because that's where I do my most quote-unquote damage. He said, but I lead off. If, I, if they need me to lead off, I, that's what I have to do to help my team. And if that's where they need me, then that's where I hit, and I'm never going to complain about that. And yes. that's, that's Ozzy uh, in a nutshell, of course. But he prefers to bat down in the order, and last night he proved it again and well, it was uh, dynamite the way things worked out. It, it wouldn't shock me if the, the the top five that we saw last night and again tonight is what we see. And, and it was Soler, Freeman, Ozzy, Austin, and then Duvall. Yeah. And then do what you want to do, six, seven, eight with Rosario and, and, and others. And Yeah, they're going to run into some out. left-handed starters that uh, Snit's going to want to switch that around a little bit, maybe with Rosario and, and Jock not getting in there. Use somebody else. Um to bat right-handed, which would be Heredia. But um, uh, low, uh, more often than not, that lineup you saw last night looked like a winner. I don't want to compare Acuna and Soler, but from the standpoint of here's this big, strong guy at the top of my order who can go deep on the first pitch of the game. Now, Acuna is as good at that as anybody, and, and I don't think that Soler is, is quite the dynamic player that Ronald is. Well, that's not taking anything away from Jorge. You've got him at the top of the order, and I think it's there's a similar feel there to what you had when Acuna was at the top from the standpoint of this guy can come up and hit one 115 off the bat and hit one up into the section 480. Here's what I think it does to the opponents, and that is everybody knows coming into a series uh, against Atlanta that they're near the top of the league in home runs. They hit a ton of homers. Just look at their stat sheet. Right. Look at the guys in the lineup and how many each of them have. Well, guess what? It starts from the get-go. They don't have 
uh, a guy who bunts to get on leading off and steal bases. They've got a home run hitter. Yeah. I mean, it starts from the pressure starts from the get go to make sure you don't make a mistake. I like doing that to the opposing pitcher every night. Mm-hmm. Play ball. It's not, oh, I'm easing into this lineup. This guy might drop a bunt down. It's play ball, and this guy can take me deep, and I got to be locked in pitch number one. That's what I love with having Acuna lead off. I liked having that ability and what that does psychologically to that night's starting pitcher for the other team. And maybe you get some of that with, with Jorge at the top of the order. It is. And um, while, you're, while you're talking about Ronald, um, I want to say this. Uh, needless to say, uh, any team would miss Ronald Acuna in their lineup. There's no getting around that. Right. But I'm happy for this group of guys to be where they are and to continue to play good baseball, especially after the injury to Ronald, to think that they can still win the division without him. Right. And that's not a criticism of Ronald or I'm not coming down on him. I'm just saying this is a compliment to these guys to realize that this was not necessarily an Acuna-driven team. It is a group of guys who together drive it. If they win this division without having Ronald since right before the All-Star break, without having a single inning from Mike Soroka and some of these other guys, what do you think that does to the Phillies, the Mets, the Nats, where they're thinking, these guys have won the division four years in a row, and they didn't even have some of their top players Mm -hmm. for the 2021 season. Right. I I think it it really, they know looking ahead that the Braves could actually be even better next year. Yeah. I think they will be better next year. Their record right now is uh, seven or eight games over 500. I think they will be a lot more over 500 next year when they've got all of their weapons. Yeah, I think so too. So uh, exciting stuff. And of course, you can hear us tonight as the first pitch will be at 940 Eastern as Joe and I will have the call. Braves and the Diamondbacks this evening. This is a four-game series. Braves won last night, play tonight. Another night game tomorrow and then a day game on Thursday before we go to San Diego to play three full games and then two and a half innings of another game over the span of a weekend yeah the the first game on friday i think starts at like five ten, and then the second game is not going to start we were told uh, a second before seven ten. okay so hopefully the first game uh with that last um inning and a half will be played rather quickly with the maybe we won't have to play the bottom of the seventh that would be nice yeah, it would be nice um so that's the time frame that we're looking at for Friday and then regular starting times, whatever they are, for Saturday and Sunday in San Diego. I'm sure somehow, some way, it's happened along the way in the grand history of our game. So you never say never because it feels like everything has happened. And then, then you'll see random things you never heard of take place for the first time in the history of Major League Baseball. But going back to that ball game, I, I would love to have a walk-off homer in another team's ballpark <laughs> has that yeah. ever happened yeah that'd be awesome uh, you're, you're in san diego you had a walk-off home run that is awesome I, I wonder if the braves will wear white unis that's a good question you know well i, I want to ask i need to ask some of the guys in the clubhouse that because you are the home team yeah uh, i know they have the blues and the grays as they do for every road right. trip but did you pack the whites for two and a half innings even the white pants you know I've lobbied for a couple of years. I wish they would wear those navy tops at home once in a while yeah, with the white pants. I that think would that'd pop. be really, really good looking. And I, I don't. I think you have to get permission from MLB for all that kind of stuff. But uh, I think that would be a cool look. I'm just glad that the broadcasters don't have home and road unis. We well, can show in whatever we want, right? There are yes, we can, and that is such a plus, uh, especially compared to those poor tv saps and all the stuff they've got to wear and certainly i was one of them for a long time (laughs) a tv sap Mm -hmm. yeah it's good to be here and 
So glad we're traveling. I know that much. It's good to just be. I, I've soaked that in several times over the last month and a half, just being back on the road and calling these games live. We have tons of great questions this uh, week. Yeah, before we get to them, I got a couple of things I want to ask you. All right. Um, and it, it relates to the National League and potential playoffs and without putting the cart before the horse or anything, not taking anything for granted. We know there's a lot, a long way to go. But let's assume that the Braves win the division. And right now, the way things shape up, the Braves would play Milwaukee in the best of five and start in Milwaukee because they have the better record. Right. The Dodgers, as the standings are today, would play the Cardinals in a one-game wild card, and the winner would then go to San Francisco to start a five-game series there. So let's start with the West and those guys and the Cardinals. How do you see that shaking out right now? What do you kind of predict will happen there, starting with the wild card Dodgers and Cardinals? If that's the matchup we get, first off, I can't wait for that game because you should get a red-hot Adam Wainwright. We'll see what happens with the Dodgers because they might have to use a bullet or two depending on what happens in the final few weeks of their final few days of the season, they might be in a position where they could throw Scherzer or Bueller to win the division and bump the Giants out. So that's interesting to me because who's available to throw in that game for the Dodgers if they end up in the wild card game? How many bullets did they use in the last three or four days try to win the division? And did that happen? The Cardinals are a team. It's like it doesn't matter who's on their team. It doesn't matter what they've done on the season. Maybe it's just the laundry. I have no idea. But they always find a way. And when we saw them in August, I thought they were roadkill. I thought they yep. were done. Yeah. Brave swept that series, and I thought this this is not the typical Cardinal team. Doesn't look like they're gonna have a whole lot of fight in the last two months of the season. They're done. Here they are. They blitz past the Reds, and they're probably gonna be in the wild card. So I'm I'd be foolish to go against the Dodgers. I think they're the best team that I have seen this year. I think that uh, the Giants may hold on and win the division, but I think top to bottom. Uh, LA has been the most complete team that I have seen. Yeah, I don't think the Dodgers and Giants play again. Right. Uh, and I don't know how their season series stands. Um, I forgot to ask anybody in San Francisco, and we can certainly look that up. But um, uh, I, the Dodgers are the most complete team we've seen, and a lot of that goes to their starting pitching now that they've got Scherzer. Right. When they can go Scherzer, Bueller, Urias, uh, and, and even throw another guy or two in there that's pretty good. Kershaw, he's not bad. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> their starting pitching depth is probably second to none. And uh, they have a good bullpen, and they've got a very versatile lineup. They're, they're tough to bet against, as you say. So let's go to Dodge, Let's go to Braves. And By the uh, way, Giants won the season series 10 games to nine. Okay, so no, that. nothing settled there. They, if that's one game, there it is. There, uh, yeah, you're right, if they tie. Uh-huh. Um, Let's go to Braves at Milwaukee. Uh, I, I want to go with my heart, obviously, and feel like the Braves could find a way to play their best baseball. But if I'm betting money on it, I'm having a hard time betting against Milwaukee because of their three pitchers, because of home field. Now, the good news is the Braves have played their best baseball on the road, I feel. Yeah. So maybe that works out in the Braves' favor. Um, I know when the Braves went there earlier in the season, they took that series. When the Brewers came to Atlanta, they were a different team. They were a better team. But that's, to me, that that – Brewer team is built for the postseason and what you would need is uh, with the three starting pitchers that they have I think they can go toe-to-toe with with the likes of the Dodgers yeah. and the Giants yeah you would need Charlie or Max to really get in there and be the best we've seen steal a ball game there 
uh, and then see what happens when you come home. And hopefully one of those guys is available for a potential game five because I think it would have to go to a fifth game. I don't see the Braves winning that in fewer than five games. No, I'm not sure that I do either. And I have utter confidence in Charlie and Max being able to go into Milwaukee and winning both games right? Uh, in whatever order that uh, Brian Snitker chooses. My question is, and I, I think the Braves will win that series. Uh, like you, it's going to take probably five games. But uh, my question mark for the Braves is, who's your third and fourth starter? Right. And do you bring your number one starter back on short rest for game four? Uh, those are questions that have to be answered. And I guess Waskari Noah right now is the third guy, but he's not pitching deep in ball games, Right. And he, he's going to need to start really extending himself and pitching better. He's going to have to pitch better his last couple of starts. There's another element to that, too. This bullpen as a whole would have to take a step forward. That Brewer bullpen is really, really good. Really good. If they have a, a lead, seventh, eighth, ninth, and they're gonna they're gonna run out Williams, I and mean, we we know how good he can be. You got Hater as well. Yeah. That's a really good bullpen. That's gonna be a really tough team to knock out in October. Yep. Yeah. No matter who you are. Yeah. They, they they're just a good ball club. They're solid. When they got Willie Adamas from Tampa Bay, it 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 restarted their whole season because they were. They were just kind of piddling along like the Braves. They were sub-500. Right. Uh, the Cubs were playing well and in first place. And then all of a sudden, here come the Brewers after they got Adamas. So we'll see how it plays out. But I just wanted to get your feel on that. Talk about it a little bit before we got to the question. Yeah, I like that. It's it's going to be good because, um, I mean, you're like, like you have every year, you're going to have hot teams, teams playing really good baseball by the time you get there. And I've, it's interesting because everybody views the postseason as – in the National League, Dodgers are Giants, and then a bunch of other teams. Yeah, and I don't think anybody's put anybody else on the level of those teams. And and I get that; that's fair. Uh, those two teams they, they've have, earned it. They're both going to be hundred game winners. Yeah, maybe one hundred and five, and they deserve all the all the spotlight. But the Braves just went to San Francisco; they're one pitch away from taking two out of three. And I know that people would say, "Well, that one pitch was a pretty big pitch." It was. I mean, they, they blew that game on that Friday night couldn't execute the one pitch and a good team will take advantage when you don't execute and we saw that firsthand yeah, right but you know that you can go toe-to-toe when you have your best guys on the mound you know that you can go toe-to-toe with anybody out there here's another factor before we get off this and that is uh when do you start if you win the division you don't start playing until friday mm-hmm. you can set your rotation up any way you want uh both milwaukee and or the braves could set theirs up the team that's in the wild card, whether it's the Cardinals, the Reds, the Dodgers, the Giants, whoever it is, you don't have that luxury. You've yeah. got to play on Tuesday, and then you've got to start, and then you got to pitch again on Friday. The National League, I, I think I have that right. Yeah. The American League Division Series starts Thursday. National League starts on Friday. I know this right, much. Ted? Yes. That is correct. Great contribution there. Thanks. How are you guys doing? We'll, we'll, get Good back to see you. To, we'll get back to you in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm the Cardinals, now hear me out on this. I, I'm hoping that the Dodgers have to win game 162 to end up tied with the Giants. Mm-hmm. So they use Scherzer or Bueller. Mm-hmm. So they're tied. They play a one-game playoff. They use their next guy, their next bullet, Giants and Dodgers, using a big bullet there in that one game because the winner wins the division, the loser goes to the wild card game. Right. And then you'd get their third best pitcher. That's what I'm hoping if I'm the Cardinals. Yes. But lots of things could happen, and that'll be a fun week. But that's a... That's certainly a, a a setup for something that could possibly happen. Yeah. That being said, it's good to win the division. You can just sit back and enjoy all that. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Our email address is bravesbooth at gmail.com. We have 
I mean, a long list of questions um, for this week. And uh, you guys want to start off with anything? JC, by the way, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Hey, man. Hi, dude. How y'all doing? You love this perch here in Arizona, don't I you? I do. I get to look down on y'all. Is this your favorite booth? It's a really good road booth. Yeah. Just the way it's set up with what I travel, it's perfect. It is uh, a really good booth. I just like the fact that they've got a place for your hangers back there, J-Chad, for your sport coats, your ties, and your slacks. That's kind of nice so you can change clothes in mid-game if you need to. They were ready for me to be here. It. Do you send them out here at the ballpark? Do they press them down? Yeah, dry the cleaning downstairs. Yeah. Wow. I just send them downstairs, and then when I get here the next day, they'll be hanging up in the plastic bag. What about your your delicates and your finery? Same thing. Wow. He's big everywhere. Isn't he, he? He's a big deal. Golly. There's only one JC, man. Oh, man. I'll start it off. Here's a question from Jordan. With the emergence of Eddie Rosario, has Jock Peterson been relegated to a bench role or a situational start kind of guy i go the latter of those two i would too and let me say something in jock's defense here when when the braves got him it was shortly after i mean alex went out and got him when we lost acuna and with all due respect to everybody else we didn't have a big league outfield right but we got a big league outfielder in jock who came in and played well uh-huh. remember he had a good he had a pretty good hitting streak right i uh, hit some homers uh, won some ball games for us uh, with some key hits, so he did. He did exactly what the Braves needed him to do when they first got him. Now all of a sudden at the trade deadline, we added more depth in the outfield, and Jock's role kind of changed a little bit, and it especially changed in terms of playing time. And so he got, became a little inconsistent. He's gone into a little bit of an offensive funk. But the other day in San Francisco, he got the start. Yeah, he led off. He got two hits in that game, so he's ready. And I agree with you. I think it's a situational start depending on who he's facing, who the Braves are facing, because he had blistered Di Sclafani. Right. And he did so again on like Sunday. Like seven for 16 or yeah, something like that in his homers. career. Yeah, four homers. And you you need it. I, I'm This time of year, especially once you get into the postseason, I don't need just nine guys. I need a bunch of guys. Sure. I'm going to be moving them all over the place. And you'll see that with all these teams in October, especially the Rays, the Giants. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, it's like you're seeing multiple teams night in, night out. So... Uh, having more good players is not a bad problem. No, it's not. And using those for situational matchups, I think is really good. Okay. All right, favorite baseball movie. This is from Dusty. Love the show. He says his is filled of dreams. You got a, got an answer, JC? I don't know if I have a favorite. I have a few that I like watching usually every time they come on MLB Network or TV. Uh, Sandlot, Major League. Yeah. I like for love of the game. Big fan of Bad News Bears. Yeah. I even like Rookie of the Year. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I like Sandlot. Love Sandlot. Uh, that was that hit me right in my wheelhouse age wise. Yeah. Know. That so that was uh, that was a great one. Uh, I'm not a big fan of um, for love of the game, but I'll go to Kevin Costner the other way with Field of Dreams. I love that. I love the storyline uh, written by Mr. Kinsella, he did a great job. Yeah, I'll take Bull Durham. It, Good. It, oh, it, it's the minor league. I mean, yeah, it's, great. That, that's such a, th- a hard thing to nail. Mm-hmm. Reality of minor league baseball, and they nailed it. What was the uh, What was the name of the one about Lou Gehrig that uh, Gary, Pride of the Yankees? Gary Cooper played Pride of the Yankees. I told a story about this movie one night. You thought I was pulling your leg on the air. Do you remember this? It was a couple of months ago. 
where, you know, obviously Lou Gehrig was a lefty. Oh, yeah. Right. You looked at me like you thought I was telling the biggest BS story of all time. And it's a true story that to make Gary Cooper lefty, they had New York backwards on his uniform. And when he got a base hit, he ran to third. And they revert, they flipped the film. That's how they made Gary Cooper left-handed. That is a true story. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll never forget you looking at me. I was rolling. I'm like, he thinks, <laughs> he thinks I'm just making this all up. That, that is a is, true story. That is, you know what? Somebody was smart to realize that well, we, we've got to reverse the uniform. Right, everything. You, you've got to run the wrong way. Right. All of that stuff. That was pretty smart on somebody. They had Babe know. Ruth in the movie. Yeah, Babe right. Ruth played Babe Ruth yeah. in that movie. Uh, this is from Austin Roberts. Who is that we can hear in the background at Truist Park announcing scoring decisions? Why are they so audible on the radio broadcast and not so much on TV? And I'll start that one, Austin, with it is too loud in our booth, but it is the PA guys in the booth, the PR people for the Braves announcing errors, base hit, scoring changes, anything like that. And they, there is a speaker in our booth and it's too loud. The TV turns it completely off. They just wait for the ruling some other way. Yeah, I mean, Joe Joe nailed it. We have it up in ours. The reason the volume is so loud in our booth is because it's the only way we're going to hear it because it's so loud outside of our booth. Right. Well, it's two people. You've got the official score who announces the, the scoring decisions, and then, like you mentioned, the Braves PR person or whatever ballpark we're in. And on the TV side, substitutions. on the TV side, they have – a huge team of people on radio. It's just the three of us. I need to be able to hear those decisions. I wear double cans, and so um, it's just the way it is. You wear what? Double cans, headphones. Oh, oh, okay. I was thinking about that stuff hanging up back there. Okay, <laughs> never mind. We'll get this one, and this is from Paul. It says, uh, is it harder to sleep behind the wing of the team charter? Also, do you get to choose where you get to sit on the plane? And has the pandemic affected where you sit on the plane? No, it hasn't affected us. We've always been at the back of the plane. We were, we have assigned seats. Right. And um, one of the things they they try to do to balance the plane is they put Brian Snicker in the first row of first class, and they put me in the back row <laughs> with you and Jay Ted in the back of the plane. So that that keeps everything in between. Okay. That's a great way to look at it. Right. It's it's critical for the proper aerodynamics. Yes. For for lift and, and all that, get us off the ground. Yes, and importance of people. <laughs> right. And, and that that sort of thing. But yeah, the pandemic has played a big role in uh up until time we actually got to start traveling and where we can go, who we can see, how do we talk to people, how do we you know, TV's still doing a lot of Zoom interviews uh from the road, so yeah, it affected a lot. How food is served. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So it's it's been a change, but it's been good to be on there. And we're in the seats that we have always been in. Right, right there towards the back of the plane, making and, all the racket. And let's make this point, too, that um, the Braves Charter is an awesome plane. It's specially configured. It is 100% first-class seats all the way through. It's in the middle of the plane, some of the seats face each other, and they have a game table in case the guys want to play cards, which is terrific. But it's all first-class seats. And so it's wonderful, wonderful travel. Um, Lost my train of thought, I think, because of the seating. But, uh, oh, I know what it was. There are so many more people that travel on the charter now. 
than there used to be. Yeah. Because there are so many more coaches. There are so many more support staff from conditioning and training support people that it's it's a pretty full plane, believe it or not. Yeah, it's slammed. Uh, best broadcast booth on this trip. That's from Carl's. This one, JC? For me, easily this one. Yeah. San Francisco is a incredibly hard booth to work in for me. San Diego is not far behind it. The one in Arizona, the vantage point, uh, selfishly, I can see. I can see here. I can watch the, can game. watch the game. I don't have to watch a monitor. I can, I'm, you know, perched up above you guys. And like I said, the way this thing is configured is really, really good. So uh, for me, yeah, Arizona for this trip, top notch. Yeah. I can see your cans from here too. Yeah, both of them. <laughs> uh, I think for view for, for what we're at the front of the booth obviously joe and and myself and it's hard to beat the view in in san francisco but i think for the uh, the harmony of the of the group here this is a tough one to beat. what's that mean well where, where we all three are, are in line together and we all enjoy i'm see i see a common theme here i'm at the back of the bus i'm at the back of the plane and i'm in the back of the booth I mean, that's just kind of how the... And you just now caught on to that? Right. That's, that's the it gig. Just, it just hit me. <laughs> you want to set up up here with us? <laughs> no, I'm good. Uh, this is from Jason. If the Braves find a way to hold on to this thing and win the, tie, win the di- division, who deserves the most credit? That's a good question. I think it has to be spread around. Yeah, I do too. I, I think I can... Alex Anthopoulos gets a ton of credit for the trade deadline acquisitions. I think the players themselves get a ton of credit, obviously. And I think Brian Snicker and his coaching staff gets a lot of credit for the simple fact that the first 100 games of the season, they struggled to get to the 500 mark, and then seemingly they took off. So, you know, if they find a way to hold on to this thing, when you look at the season as a whole and you think back to the first 100 games, I don't know if there was a lot of people that thought that the Braves would be in the position that they are right now at this point in the season. It's 162, man. You, you don't get there with one player or one pitcher or one manager or one GM. It, it's the entire unit, and that's the best thing about 162. If you make it there, you earned it. You are the best uh, for the entire season, and um, good times, bad times, you, you found a way to, to get through all that, and I don't think you can do that with uh, a bad manager or a bad GM or a bad starting pitcher or a bad – you know you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I, I don't see how you could just really – I don't see how you could give one element all the credit and everybody else was just kind of mailing it in. Well, I will say this. They give awards for, uh, obviously, for manager of the year. They also have general managers of the year. And while uh, Alex Anthopoulos is not my boss, so it's not like I'm uh, trying to suck up to Alex in any way here, but what he did to go get these players, as J. Chad said, at the deadline – that to me turned this whole season around right is noteworthy and it should be recognized by the rest of the league for what he did now the guys in la they went out and got scherzer they got trey turner that's pretty incredible right that is pretty amazing too but i just from where the braves were to where they are now is an incredible turnaround from a player's standpoint if any of you people out there think Okay, who's who's the Braves MVP? Can Freddie win another MVP? Could could Riley or or Albies? I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is is what Jonathan said too. And that it's it's so spread around. How do you distinguish one guy 
from all the rest of them that have contributed so much. I don't think anybody has stood out from a national standpoint right. that would say, people would say, oh boy, Braves wouldn't be here without this guy. Well, they wouldn't be here without several of them. A bunch them. of them. Yeah. And this isn't like the NBA. You know, I can't give the I can't have Freddie bat every inning. No. Like I could pass to my best player every possession. Right. Can't do that. I mean, for for one sixty two in baseball, it's exactly what you're talking about. I mean, you've got to have guys that your best players are going to go through stretches where they aren't any good. And what do your other guys do in that stretch? There are times when Ozzy hasn't been himself, and Riley has surged, or. Dansby has surged when maybe Freddie had a, a rough stretch or whatever. That's what it takes over 162. It's the accumulation of all that. I wonder if a guy's ever won an MVP playing for two different teams in one season. In that season, I'm talking about Adam Duvall. I know he's hitting 220, but he's leading the league in RBIs. He's second right. in home runs. I, I wonder if another player somewhere in history got traded midseason but still became the MVP. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Because you imagine trading. We could see, We could see someone win the Cy Young this year. They yeah. got traded at the deadline. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Got another one, Jay Chad? Uh, yeah. Uh, Caroline would like to know, what's it like going from 60 degrees in San Francisco to 100 de- 110 degrees in Phoenix? Maybe you can ha- uh, find a happy medium in San Diego. She's right. <laughs> It'll be nice there. Um, we got off the plane here, what, around 8.30 the other night? 8.30, 9 o'clock? from san francisco and most everybody still had like a a windbreaker pullover sweatshirt something like that on when they got off the plane it was like well this has got to come off because it was still almost 90 degrees here when we landed um shock to your system yeah by the way i have an answer on that it's never happened before no it has happened in the cy young before though okay uh rick sutcliffe in 84 was traded from Cleveland to Chicago and won the Cy Young. Uh, but the, the, there's a few examples here. As they say, you know, if McGuire had won the MVP in 97, it was close to happening then because he was traded from Oakland to St. Louis in 97. Okay. But it would take something like that. But that's, right. that's never happened before. Okay. Pretty cool. Interesting. Uh, once the season's over, what's the first thing you're going to do? That's from Beth. Oh, man. This might sound kind of cheesy, but... When, when the season ends, I think we all do a bit of reflecting. I mean, how could you not when the season ends? And my first 24 to 48 hours once the season ends is just pure gratitude that you made it through another major league season. It's such a great feeling. It's a feeling of great accomplishment to put another season on your resume mm-hmm. and uh, and to finish a full season. So that's that's always a special time. And then after that, it's time to get out and go. See, have a life. Get down. Yeah. As little as possible, at least for like a week. Right. Well, this is 2021, and both of these guys are single, and I've already told them that it's I do in 22 for both of these right. guys. They've got both got great gals for girlfriends, and that's what we do. We go home and we start trying to catch up with our families yeah. um, and atone for the time we've been away, and uh, that is – what I will do with Kathy, and that's what I used to do with Kathy and the kids. So um, you, you reacclimate to your family as much as anything else. Is how, the, how long before she was ready for you to leave again? About a, about a week. <laughs> <laughs> Should, shouldn't you be going somewhere? Why do you think we've been married for 43 years? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do in 22. Yeah, in both 22. of you. Get ready. Never know. Just might happen. 
Uh, what would each of you say is the best quality in the other two, Ron? I'll start. Do some digging on that one, huh? Uh, for Ben, I think it's the way he prepares every single day. This is a very long season. Even in spring training, when it would be easy to take a shortcut, Ben does not take a single shortcut ever. He studies up on his pitchers, the other team. He has does tons of research and reads and knows everything you need to know and a cool nugget about pretty much everyone on the roster. Uh, so w- when it comes to Ben, I would say the way he prepares. And then when it comes to Joe, I would say how consistent he is every single day and um, attention to detail. You know, I've been watching baseball a long time, probably about 50 years fewer than Joe. But I feel like Joe sees things that I never would. Right. And it adds to the broadcast. So that's what I would say. That's a great answer. Thank you. That's a really good answer. My opinion is that Jonathan is dogged. Nothing is good enough. And I say that as a compliment because he's not complacent. If there's a way to do a better job of uh, getting us on the air, then he's going to find it. And nothing is ever left to chance. There's never a comment about, oh, that'll work. This will be okay. There's never, ever that complacency about uh, his job and what he does to make us sound good on the air. He is a tireless worker and sometimes uh, almost a workaholic when it comes to that. For Ben, I'll echo what Jonathan said, and that is there is never a time where Ben is caught by surprise for being unprepared. And for a play-by-play guy, it's different than for an analyst. I can look at all the numbers I want, but it's not up to me to recite uh, numbers uh, in such a way that you're informed at home about what kind of a season a guy's having. Ben can tell you chapter and verse about every guy, every night, where he's from, uh, his story. When you were telling me the story about David Peralta just last night, I didn't know that. I didn't know that he had uh, been in an independent league trying to find his way back in as a player instead of a pitcher. You know, I learned stuff from you. And that's because you're always prepared and you don't leave anything to chance either. You don't, there, there's a lot of guys in this business that get here and it's just happy to be here. Oh boy, I get to the broadcast. I'm a broadcaster <laughs> man. And you'd be surprised at how many of those guys there are. And uh, Ben is certainly not taking it for granted that way. I appreciate that. It's, uh, it, it's fun to, to get to do all those things every single night and study up on these guys. I, I'm a big study up nerd you know i love finding out about these guys for you two guys i'll start with jc he is as reliable as a sunrise i mean he's gonna be there give him a time he's there we're doing this we're recording that we're gonna have snit whatever he's there um you never have to worry about that and he does a really good job of of keeping us really on point with where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there and making sure the job is done right uh, if if we're going to do the job, we're going to do it right the first time. But if something takes place where we have to redo something, it might be a major inconvenience for us. He's going to make sure that it's done right. And that's what I love having uh, him sitting behind us. And I don't mean to joke with you sitting behind us, but <laughs> you behind us. Um, I, I've kind of I've made the uh, 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 the comparison 
uh, of us being a band before. Now he's our, he's our drummer. He keeps us on rhythm. He keeps us where we're supposed to be, and he doesn't let us venture outside of that because uh, the job wouldn't be done the right way without that. Right. And, and that takes a special talent, and more importantly, it takes a special personality to do that as well. Uh, for you, Joe, I, I can. It, it doesn't matter. I can throw anything at you. And you will, you're not gonna, it's not gonna go over your head. You're gonna turn it into something humorous. You're gonna have a knowledge or a story of whatever it is. It's amazing. It's such a gift to me that I have somebody like you to broadcast with because I, I feel like whatever comes up, you're gonna be on point no matter what. You're not gonna be um, surprised by anything. And, and I love that. You will have a story about a place, about a stadium, about a player, about a manager, A ball, major leagues, LA. Albuquerque, whatever. It, it, it's like you've got something for it, and I love that. And for me, every single night, it, it's a it's a way for me to explore a bit. Hearing you tell stories about different things, I learn so much. And whether it's a, a story about a player or whether it's a situation about in the game, uh, it, it's so much fun to hear your knowledge of this game and hear your own. Uh, humor and and twist on things. It, it's so much fun for I know for Jay Sad and for myself, and it's like working with a, uh, a, a a safety net every single night. There's nothing that you're not going to uh, let fall. I mean, I feel like you're going to be there for everything, which is awesome. It's a great compliment. I appreciate it very much, uh, Jonathan. Were you through talking about me? <laughs> no, I was just going to say, you know, after saying all those nice things oh, about, go on. about Joe. Um, you know, that's why I've told him that I need at least another 10 seasons out of him. <laughs> yeah, a lot of value there. Uh, let's see here. I have one. Okay. What is Eddie Perez's role with the team? For us longtime Braves fans, it's really cool to still see him in uniform. And I'll, you know, kind of let Joe answer that question, but I'll say it's a treat for all of us to get to see Eddie every day, whether it's in the hotel or on the bus or at the ballpark. He is one of the funniest men I've ever met, and every time you're around that guy, you are going to laugh. You know, talk about uh, having a story and about where he started coming from Venezuela, and it's an incredible story for Eddie. Beautiful family. Uh, he's an American citizen now. As Jay Chad said, he's hilarious. Uh, he is a very smart baseball man and one of the quality people I've ever met in the game in all my time in baseball. He, he is, he's right there at the top as far as my favorites. When Eddie first got to this country, he didn't speak English. He couldn't read English. And he was going to the store to get food, and he would stand and stare at, like, cat food, dog food, and, you know, there's usually a, a picture of a cat or a dog on the can, and that was the only thing that tipped him off that, okay, I don't want that. Right. I've got to go find something else. I mean, that's how basic it was when he first got here. And to see him now and who he is and what he's done in this game is incredible. And I'm, uh, I'm like you guys. I'm thrilled to see him every day. And as far as his job is concerned, he throws batting practice. Uh, he is a confidant for and an intermediary for a lot of the Latin players. And uh, beyond that, I'm not sure what else he does, uh, but I'm sure glad he's on our team. Yeah, I am too. He's awesome. It's good to have around. Uh, there are two questions that can be answered pretty quickly that I want to jump in on right quick. One of them is, um, 
Why is the third game of a three-game series called the rubber game? Well, it's only the rubber game if the two teams split the first two games. It's the deciding game of a series. So, for instance, if the Braves and the Phillies played three games and the Braves won the first two, well, the third game wouldn't be a rubber game. But if they split the first two, that would make it a rubber game. And the reason it's called a rubber game, you have to go back to the 16th century on this. And I know this because I brought this up on a broadcast, I want to say last year, where in lawn bowling, before you had erasers, they would use rubber uh, to, to erase things. And what you were trying to do was, in the deciding game, they kept tallies of who won. And you're trying to, as the quote says, uh, I read this, you're trying to rub out the other team. You won the deciding game. You won the series. And they would erase that team with a piece of rubber, and that became the rubber game. So you're going back 500 years wow. for that one. Uh, I had always heard... Um uh, I think Chip used to say it has something to do with um, bridge, the card game, too, that there was something in bridge uh-huh. that it applied to, but I'll bet bridge stole it from May have. what you're talking about. By the way, uh, one day we need to wear our lawn bowling <laughs> outfits, you know? We can I, do that. I've not purchased mine yet. I need to go find one. Yeah. Well, I've got one. Okay. Right, so I'm good. That's why I brought it up. Anyway, uh, there's another thing here, and it has to do with uh, Jonathan. This comes from Ethan McCarthy in Highwood, Illinois. What does prepping for a broadcast look like for you? How much prep do y'all do for anecdotes and interesting stats and stuff ahead of the broadcast? Does Jonathan feed you guys stats or tidbits, etc., during the game? I feel like if it was me, I'd come to every game loaded down with stuff for fear of running out of things to say, but maybe y'all are such pros you, you've been doing it for so long you can mostly wing it. Thanks, Ethan. Good question. Yeah, J-Chat does feed us stuff. Yep. Uh, there, there are lots of times, and I'll use this for example. Last night, Adam Duvall hit a 483-foot home run. And whether it was uh, Twitter sites that, that uh, tweet out interesting statistics and such or some other nugget somewhere along the way, when things are happening in the middle of a game that might have a historic connotation, J-Chat will find that and hand it to us. As, for, as far as whatever we do prior to the game, I'll, I'll do some of that the night before and some of it in the few hours leading up to the game. And it usually starts for me with that night's starting pitcher going through their lineup, learning about their manager, and finding interesting nuggets about most of those guys. And I might use, over the span of a series, I might use three-fourths of what I prep for. There's a lot of stuff that I prep for that I don't even use. It just the, the, the situation never presented itself. Right. But you'd like to have some things in case it's 12 to nothing in the fifth inning. And if it's a 1-1 game in the eighth, well, you're not going to use that. Maybe it's something you can file away for another day. But that's I think you eventually get your patterns down. And you, you, I don't know about you, but I, I have streamlined how I prep. And it's typically in the exact same order every single night. Well, and that makes it easy for you to uh, go to a certain place when you know exactly where it is or how you wrote it down. Uh, This is not a knock on John Smoltz. This just gives you an idea of uh, when you're first starting out in this business, how you can do things to the extreme. He was very conscientious when he first started doing games with us uh, before he went to the network. And he would show up with a legal pad, handwritten stuff, like two or three pages of stuff that he worked and did homework on. He was prepared but he felt like he had to get that all in mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. And by the bottom of the second inning, he was done. 
Really? He was out. I mean, he had gotten it all in, but it didn't really fit in some cases. Uh, he wasn't himself to be able to watch the game and analyze it and talk about it and talk about the pitchers because he had written this stuff down. And I, I, if I prepared re- prepared this work, then I, I need to say it. Not necessarily so. And uh, we coached him up a little bit on that, that you can have all those, but know when to use it. Mm-hmm. But watch the game. Don't take your eyes off the field because you're going to see things that other people don't see, and they, they're going to want you to explain it to them. And I think that was one of the reasons why he became so good and why he does the World Series now is that um, he knew to back off a little bit. It's like anything else you do for work. You evolve and get better at it. Yes. It becomes more streamlined and you practice it more and you come up with what works best for you and get better at it. Yeah, and and again, that's not a knock on John. He was just starting out and you want to make sure he was ready. Yeah. I know we have time for what a question or two more probably two more I'll, i have one from mike all right he said often you guys impress me with some of the facts not involving baseball you pull out during the game so my question is which one of you guys would do the best on jeopardy who has the biggest head full of useless knowledge i'll start and say i would probably do the worst on jeopardy <laughs> but i probably have the biggest head just not full of knowledge <laughs> <laughs> well, thank what, you. what size hat do you wear fitted at seven and a half <laughs> yeah that, I, me too it's a good melon yeah anyway <laughs> you know the thing about jeopardy they have these uh people come on that have passed numerous tests they've had like practice games and stuff oh really yeah so these people it's like that, a preliminary round yeah well that, but they want to know if you are as smart as your interview was okay so they want to see how you might fare getting in for the question question well they get on the real one they get on the live tv and you see people they're, they're, they're shake, shaking that <laughs> buzzer and they're just going as hard as they can because they're so nervous and, and then no uh, I, I i don't know alex i forgot right you know it's it's an amazing thing how things how it changes when you're under the lights and the cameras are on. oh yeah about whether or not some of that stuff will come to the front and you can get it out or not so I'd like to think that I would do really well, provided all of the topics were about sports. I'd be great. Yeah, let me clarify. I don't think I'm a box of rocks. I just, <laughs> I just, I just think you guys are pretty smart. Uh, I, I, between the two of us, I'll say this: we know a bunch of nonsense. Nonsense. Complete nonsense yeah. for some reason. Right. Uh, there was a question about your favorite umpire. You guys have a guy that stands out. Mm. Pat Hoberg is my favorite. Give me Pat Hoberg behind the plate every game. I'd be thrilled. Most consistent strike zone, I feel, in the big leagues. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like Pat, too. There's a couple of others that um, when that when I see they're behind the plate, I go, oh, good. I like him. And there's several that will go unnamed more of these than, than the good ones. <laughs> right. where we go, oh, no. I feel like that happens more than the good yeah, ones. Yeah, this is going to be a long game. My favorite umpire, there were, there were a couple of them from the old days, and you can look them up. George Maloney uh, was an umpire back in the American League that back in the old – balloon chest protector days so it was that far ago uh, he started a game he's behind the plate one night at the metrodome we were playing the twins and he yelled play ball and he reached up to pull his mask down and he forgot his mask <laughs> <laughs> time <laughs> pitcher had to stop you know couldn't wind up and he had to send somebody to the umpire's dressing room for his mask he was also a guy that if he was umpiring at second and I'm playing center field, and I need him to move. We had a sign, a signal to the second base umpire, like, hey, you're in my way. I can't see home plate. 
and he turned just turned around and flipped me off one night. Really? Yeah. So, so George Maloney was one of my favorites. <laughs> That's great. That is great. All right. Well, we're running out of time. I've got more questions I'd love to get to, but Joe's about to interview Snit here in four minutes. We can save some of these for next week. Yeah. We. Uh, you know what? There's there, good ones. There's a bunch in here, and if you didn't get yours read this week, we will read it next week because you had a. You guys had some great questions this week. So, unfortunately, we're out of time, but we'll be back with you next week. And hopefully this team is is significantly closer to clinching the division, if not done it already by the time we do this show. Here's to positive thinking. Well, that's our show, and we appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you uh, subscribe, like us, and all those other good things you do at the uh, podcast channels, wherever you get your podcasts. Till next time, for Jonathan, for Joe, I'm Ben, and you have been inside the Braves booth.